0: doing? Good. This is, the, uh, this is the week before the Super Bowl, which means there's zero sports worth watching. It, it feels like the Sunday where there's nothing to do after church. So you can just listen to a sermon and think about it all day. Jesus wants this space for him. He's just, he's set it apart. Uh, I I hope you guys are as excited as I am about this series. We do this to start every year where we talk about our vision and our values. And we just kind of, it's kind of like a family gathering to kind of bring it back together as a group and kind of just say, all right, who are we? What are we doing? Where are we headed? What do we want to be? And we really believe this. We believe that language creates culture. Uh, And that our vision and values for us are not just things that we put on the website. They're not just aspirational values of like, hey, this would be neat if we became this. These are the founding principles of who we want to become. They are the glue of how we determine what we're doing next and how we determine who we're going to be and how we're going to live out our faith. And so this would be a really terrible sermon series if the vision and values were just for the staff. Are you with me? Right? If, if the vision and values were just like operational principles for our everyday 24-7 operations of the church, this is a really boring sermon for everybody else. And you're like, why are you telling me all these things? But these are the values and vision that we want to live out in, in the church, which is us. We want these to be values for your family. We want these to be values in your marriage. We want these to be values in your parenting. We want these to be values in your workplace. For those of you who, who run a workplace and have employees, we want these to be values for the way that you treat your employees. We want these to be the glue, the culture that we live out our faith in every week. And So last week, we started with the first of these core values, which is soak the altar. We want to live in radical dependence and obedience on God. We want to trust. We want our faith to grow in the the idea that God is moving and working and he's still doing great things. and And so we can soak the altar and trust that God is present and at work and he's good and he's moving and he's working in every area of my life. And today we want to talk about, this is my favorite. So I always, for some, everybody always assigns me this one because they know this is my favorite. We want to talk about wrecking the roof. That's our second value, uh, is to wreck the roof. And it's this idea of what if we trusted that God was moving and working and that there are new methods and ways to connect people to Jesus. So cause the message doesn't change, but our methods are always shifting and changing and transforming and moving. And so what if we became a place of innovation, What if we became a place that was thinking of new ways to connect people to Jesus? What if there was no length that we would go to to connect our community to Christ? How would our life change and how would our life be different? And so we're going to look at the story in Luke chapter 5 of the paralyzed man and his friends. It's a story that I'm guessing most of you, if you've been around the church, have heard in some way. But I want you to notice there's three groups that I want you to pay attention to. There's the crowd... There is the friends and then there's the paralyzed man himself. Luke chapter 5 verse 17. Jesus had just previously Turned water into wine. He had healed a leper. Those are signs of him being the Messiah. And so people are interested in this Jesus. Jesus is starting to teach. People are growing an interest in what he's teaching. He's teaching with a new authority and new power. He's got different ideas. He's teaching about the kingdom of God in ways that nobody had heard, taught about the kingdom of God before. And so a crowd gathers, verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. There were some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus.' And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on the mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, there's not a lot of information on where they're meeting. Uh, Like, it doesn't say they were meeting in a particular person's house. It doesn't say they were meeting in the synagogue. We're not quite sure where they were meeting. We just know it's a house. But there is some crazy logic going on here. Like, some would say this is redneck logic of the friends. Are you with me? Like, like this, is, this is this idea. They're, they're, they're trying to get in the back. They're trying to get to Jesus. There's a big crowd. Everybody's there. Everybody's watching. Everybody's paying attention. And, and, and this, is, this is, you got to understand, this is way back in time. So if you're a paralyzed man, your whole future is dependent on your family and your friends. There is no way you can survive without a support system, without people that love you, without people that care for you. And so these people, I'm certain, had heard about the leper. They had heard that there was this new teacher who was teaching with new authority, who was healing, who was doing amazing things. And they were like, Whatever the guy's name is. Larry, we're going, right? And they put him on his mat, and they carried him, and they gathered him, and they brought him together, and they're trying to get in the back, but the crowd is there. They can't get through the door. They can't get into the places. Um, And and there's also this belief that, that a lot of paralytics, if you're paralyzed or if you had leprosy, there's this belief in the culture at the time that you are cursed, right? Lepers weren't even allowed to be in public places because there was this belief that they were cursed, that the reason you were sick is because God has cursed you in some way. And these friends have this idea, we can't get through the front, so let's go tear up the roof, right? This is redneck logic. I, I did a, I found a little game this week. It's called the Redneck Name Generator. Uh, uh, you can find it on all of your Google machines. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I, I just worked a few. Uh, Allie Hale was Mary Lou Cornholer? That was what came up when I typed in the name Allie Hale. Uh, Douglas Tappan came up as Enos Ray Otis. <laughs> That's pretty good. Ben Hardman came up as Cletus Tucker. So, I don't know. Uh, but there is some redneck logic involved in this, right? There's this, these folks that are like, we can't get in the front door, what do we do? Let's just tear up the roof. This is somebody's home, right? Like there is there is an owner of this home who is frustrated right now. Like their house is full of people, this guy's teaching, and can you imagine just being there? I'm preaching right now, all of a sudden some ceiling tiles start falling, and, and all of a sudden this stuff starts collapsing, and all of a sudden there's just like this random guy floating from the sky down. Like it's like a terrible church stunt. Right? It's like the church that brings their choir director from the balcony on a rope or something like that. Like it's you—you you gotta be looking at this and saying, "What in the world is going on?" Can you imagine? Uh, I don't even know how I would respond as a teacher if I'm doing this. I'm teaching. I'm going, and all of a sudden, I'm like, "What? What is? What are we doing here, guys?" Like, like there has to be this weird moment where everybody's feeling awkward. I'm guessing the crowd's impulse in that moment was not, "Oh, look at the faith of those friends." I bet the crowd's impulse was not, oh, wow, this guy really needs healing. Look at the links he'll go to get to Jesus. I'm guessing their impulse in that moment was, what the heck are you doing? They were annoyed. They were frustrated. It was, if Jesus was preaching, listen, if Jesus was preaching, it was a good sermon. <laughs> right? It was the best sermon they've ever heard everybody's loving it. He's like on point number three. There's like old ladies crying, right? It's right to the time when the worship leader's about to come up. Everybody's into it. And all of a sudden, there's this moment. Imagine being the owner of the house. Uh, But but here's the line that it says in that text. It says, when they could not find a way. And I want to ask us this question. In our spiritual life, when we cannot find a way, what do we do? What do we do when we when we when we can't figure out how to get to the healing? When we've been praying about something and our prayers aren't answered. When we've been struggling in a relationship or in an area of our life, when we've been battling a sin and we can't seem to overcome it. When we've been fighting something and we cannot figure it out, what do we do when we can't find a way? My guess is for most of us, we quit. We give up. We say, oh man, sorry Larry, I know we carried you over here, but look at the crowd. I mean, maybe we sit outside and hope that he walks past here at the end of the service. Maybe we try and get in once everybody else clears out. There's this box that we live in, and when we cannot figure things out in that box, we have very little resilience or perseverance or faith for anything outside of that box. Sometimes when it gets hard, we need to have the stomach to tear up the roof. What do we do when we can't get the breakthrough we need? What do we do when we're praying for something and it doesn't happen? What do we do when it just feels like it's not working for us? These are the moments when we wreck the roof. These are the moments when we say, I will do anything to get to Jesus. These are the moments when we try something new. These are the moments when we push for breakthrough. These are the moments when we keep battling and fighting. Uh, My wife and I used to live in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, Uh, We lived right in the middle of a historic home district. It was a really beautiful old neighborhood, the largest district of Victorian homes left in the United States. So beautiful homes all kind of gathered right next to downtown. We could walk to a cafe. We could walk to a restaurant. It was really a great place. So we planted a church in that neighborhood. A bunch of our friends moved into the neighborhood, so all of our buddies lived next to us. We would go to the same restaurant with the same friends every Friday night. We got all the worship leaders from our church to lead live music there on Friday night. There was like all of this just fun community stuff happening. And, and Louisville's a great town. It's a great food town. If you're a foodie, take that trip to, to Louisville, Kentucky. There's lots of great food, and there's always something fun going on. The Kentucky Derby is amazing. It's like if, if your city has something that gets kids out of school for an entire week because there's a horse race you're doing something good, right? You're doing something fun. And everybody parties, everybody enjoys it, everybody loves it. And there's always, there's just something going on. And when you're downtown, you're kind of in the center of everything. And so there's always something going on. And my wife and I just loved like the life of that. It wasn't great when we had little kids, but other than that, it was great. Uh, But what would happen every year is they did the Iron Man. And the Iron Man would go right down our street And then the finish line was like three blocks away from our street. And so the bad part about it was it was closed, right? Everything was shut down. We couldn't drive anywhere. We couldn't get out of our neighborhood uh, in any way for a long time. And these guys and girls, these amazing athletes would do this incredible thing. They would swim for 2.4 miles. How many think you could probably do that? I'm not saying with any speed, but you could just get it done. Only Brian Raffey. Dave Cheney and Brian Raffey are the old guys. We've got to work on our physical fitness. Right? We're going we're to have one of our core values. I think I could swim for two and a half miles. I don't think I could do it well. I'm not talking about speed, but I could float a good bit of the way, right? Like, I just do the backstroke for a little while. Like, I, I think I could get that done. This, but, but here's the problem you, you do the swim, and then there's a 112 mile bike ride. I've got a Peloton at the house. Like on a really, really good day, like on my best day, I get to ten. Right? That's like I just killed it because I got to ten. Right? I just—that was an amazing day. A hundred and twelve-mile bike ride, and then when you're done with that, what a twenty-six-mile run. Twenty-six miles. like miles—you can get to Tennessee. I think you can get to Ohio. Ohio is like 26 miles. Like, you could, like that is a long way, 26-mile run. On a good day, on a walk, I make it two miles, <laughs> right? I've got dogs, and they run out of energy, and one of them's fat and old and blind, and he just lays down. And I'm like, my wife is ready to, like, run for five more miles. I'm at Bonnie, I'm kind of out of breath. I think, I think we're done. This is a crazy athletic feat, and people train forever for this. And, and what was really fun, and this is what connected it to us the very first time that the Ironman was happening, was one of our best friends from our church had been training for it. And he was like, guys, I'm doing it. He's like, here's the app. You can track where I'm at the whole time. And his wife was like, hey, we're going to get a bunch of people from the church right at the finish line. We're all going to be there. We're going to have signs, and we're going to celebrate. And when he crosses the finish line, we're all going to go crazy. And the finish line is beautiful. It's this really cool moment where when people cross the finish line, this guy announces it, and they say, this person, Ben Hardman, which would never happen because I would never do this, (laughs) is an Ironman. And everybody cheers and everybody celebrates and then they put like weird plastic around the person and they fall over and eat a banana, right? But like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's this amazing thing though and everybody cheers, it's this beautiful thing. I, and, and every time we would go, so we went the first couple times because some folks from our church were doing it and then like the next few years, we just went and we would just show up and like, I'm not kidding you, every time I was there, I had this emotional response to it because I was seeing like, Think of how hard these people have worked. Think of how much training has gone into this. And I loved watching them like hug their spouses and hug their kids. And there would occasionally be somebody who had like really physical problems who was working through this. And I'm like, my goodness, that person has doesn't have a leg. And I can't even walk two miles. Like, it was crazy to see how people were stepping into this and the athleticism and the strength of this. And I started to ask the question, like, what if life was like the Iron Man? What if the finish line of, like, the Iron Man was like church? What if we were cheering each other on to wreck the roof? What if we were standing at the finish line of each other's accomplishments with signs that say, way to go. You did it keep going. There's these spots along the way where they had people that would hand out water and the people would hand out water and they would just say, keep going. People would bring cowbells. It was, it's super obnoxious. If you live there and the cowbells are going, and there's some people that don't finish until like 11 o'clock at night and the cowbells are still going, right? But there's just like cowbell guy is just walking around cheering them on like, come on, keep going, keep fighting, keep going. There's this impulse that says, let's cheer each other on in that. And we don't have that same impulse in the church. We're way too often more like the crowd and less like the friends. We're annoyed that somebody else is trying to get breakthrough, but it's interrupting my time. We're frustrated that we're, I'm I'm gonna think about this. This is so like the crowd in this story is doing exactly what we're doing right now. They're all focused right here, when the needs are all out there. And what if we could change that? What if we could do things a little differently? Christians are not the best with innovation. Can you get behind that? I think there are ambassadors who work peace at other countries that have an easier job than trying to change the color of the carpet at most churches. We're kind of set in our ways. We're kind of like, this is the way we do it. This is the way we've always done it. We've always done three songs and then announcements and then a sermon and then a benediction. And then we've always done it this way. We've always done an event at the park at this time of year. We've always done this thing for my kids. We've always done it this way. We're really bad at innovation. And we're really bad at thinking about things beyond a 1.0. All right? We try it once. We're going to try something. We're gonna try it. It didn't work. Oh, that didn't work, so we're just, we're giving up. We're done. Rather than saying, all right, what did we learn from the thing that we just tried that failed, and what does it look like for us to now try 2.0? What does it look for us to try 3.0? What does it look for us to try 4.0 until finally we're like, okay, I think this is working. I think we're actually on to something. Plan A for the friends is to walk through the door and get to Jesus. Plan B is to say, excuse me, nicely which I'm guessing they tried. Are you with me? Hey, I got our buddy here. We're just trying to get him there. People are like, nope, you're not getting in. Plan plan C might be like push somebody. I don't know. I kind of do the like maneuvering to get through. I don't know what plan C is. Plan D was like one of those guys was like, let's tear up the roof. There's a persistence that it takes oftentimes to get where we want to go. That I wonder if we don't have in the church anymore. I wonder if we've lost some of our apostolic impulses. I wonder if we've lost some of our entrepreneurial nature. I wonder if we've lost some of our resilience. I wonder if we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and we're tired of COVID, and we're tired of fighting, and we're tired of politics, and we're tired of social media, and we're tired of other people being annoying, and so we've just decided let's play it safe. Let's do us easy. You know it's easy. It's easy to be the crowd. It's easy to show up every Sunday to look this way and to never look out the back door at the real needs that are really happening in our real community where people need us. They're all there. They're all facing the front, and I wonder how often we're the crowd and not the friends. A friend of mine said this We are being the crowd when, as a church, we care more about keeping things intact than we care about restoring lives that have been shattered. It's what happens to a church when we get more upset about a mess that's being made than we get more excited about the messy people that are coming to be cleaned up. It's when we get more upset about the stuff being broken than we get excited about broken things being mended. It's when the church exists for itself when it turns its back on the outside of the house and says, to hell with the rest of you. Wrecking the roof means we go to great lengths to get the people who are outside inside. Wrecking the roof means we will do anything to bring healing to people who are in need, in need of healing. The crowd says, you're making a mess. This is annoying. You're interrupting my Sunday. This is frustrating. The friends say, whatever it takes. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Nobody can ever persuade me that Jesus wasn't a showman, (laughs) right? Nobody can either, and, and you can't persuade me either that Jesus didn't like to stir the pot. Are you with me? Jesus knows exactly what he's doing right now. At the very beginning of this text, it says, who's in the room? The Pharisees, the keepers of the law, all the people that are fact-checking Jesus on everything that he does, all the bloggers, all the emailers, all the people that are ready to send to the newspaper what Jesus just said, they're all right there, ready to fight, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, whoa, what's going on here? Look, we gotta heal this guy. He starts off instantly by saying, friend, your sins are forgiven. Don't think for a second that Jesus didn't know that would bring ooze and oz. Don't think for a second that Jesus didn't know that that was going to activate the bloggers. He knew exactly what he was doing. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I will tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. You want to know an amazing spiritual principle that's lived out here in this passage? Is that there are times when we have to place ourselves in a position to receive the breakthrough. Because if he's not there, he doesn't receive the breakthrough. If he's not laying on the mat in that moment, he doesn't experience all that God has for him. Sometimes we have to move before God moves. Sometimes we have to put our foot in the Jordan River before the water stops. Sometimes we have to put mud in our eyes before we can actually see. Sometimes there is an action that is required of us. Maybe it's a faith test. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's just us saying, just like we said in the song today, I'm sorry that I've made worship something that it's not. I'm sorry that I've come with an agenda. I'm sorry that I've tried to make this something that's all about me. I just want to be with you. I just want your breakthrough. I just want your kingdom to come. I just want what you want in the world. I just want your life that you have planned for me. I just want your agenda. 2 Chronicles 20, 17 says, you will not need to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be feared or dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. There are all of these passages in the Old Testament where this happens. God says to the people, go and fight the battle. I've given you victory. Here's what we want. We want, sit right here and don't fight the battle and I'll give you the victory. Are you with me? We want the victory without the battle. We don't want the fight. We don't want the struggle. We don't want the hurt. We don't want the pain. We don't want the awkwardness of being lowered down in front of all of these people. Can, I like, Imagine this. This dude is now laying on the ground. He cannot stand up. He can't walk. He's just laying here. And Jesus says, "Your sins are forgiven." He's like, oh, "Okay. <laughs> Am I just going to sit here the rest of the time? Like are you going to finish up the sermon? Like what? I'm sure he's happy about that. But there's this is moment Where we have to be in the right position to get the breakthrough. Before Abram could become the father of many nations, he had to position himself in the land of Canaan. He had to leave the place he knew and go to the land he was expected to go to. Before Esther could save the Jews from being killed, she had to position herself in the king's palace. Before Zacchaeus could see Jesus over the crowd, he had to position himself up in a tree. Before Peter and the disciples could catch a heavy load of fish, they had to first position their nets on the right side of the boat. Before Peter could walk on water, he had to get out of the boat. Before the woman who struggled with blood issues for 12 years could get healed, she had to position herself at the feet of Jesus and touch the hem of his garment. Before Jesus could reconcile us back to God and defeat the power of sin and death, he had to position himself on the cross. We have to position ourselves in a place where the roof can be wrecked. We've got to place ourselves in the right position to get the breakthrough. You can't expect to get out of debt until you've positioned your spending habits to pay off your debt. You can't expect to lose weight until you've positioned yourself at the gym or on the bike. You can't expect to hear from the Lord if you aren't praying and studying your Bible and listening. You can't expect to lead your friends to Christ if you're never talking to them about Christ. We've got to do the work We've got to fight the battle. We've got to step into this. We've got to position ourselves because here's this man. He's laying on the floor. And here's the reality. Listen, this is the reality. And this is, I, I think this is so important for us to hear today. His friends got him there, but he had to decide whether he wanted the breakthrough. And I think there's many of us that live in that space our entire spiritual life. My parents brought me to church. So I have my parents' faith. I've adopted my parents' faith. My sins have been forgiven, but I'm still laying on that mat. I'm doing nothing with the faith that I've been given. And it's time. Jesus walks into that space, and he does the exact same thing he did with Jairus' daughter. He walks into the room to the girl that everybody believes is dead, and he says, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Letha Kalum, my child, get up. I think there are so many of us who we have been forgiven, but we've never gotten off the mat. We've received the grace and mercy and kindness and love of Jesus, but we've never activated it. We've never discipled anybody. We've never lived out our faith. We've never walked in faith. We've never been generous. We've never tithed. We've never lived out our faith in any kind of capacity. We just lay on the mat every single week awkwardly in front of all these people. I think there's a lot of us who have been forgiven, but we've never been healed. And I wonder for many of us, and I put myself in this place as somebody who's been wounded and somebody who's been hurt and somebody who has real pain that they've experienced in their life, I think it's a lot easier for me to lay on the mat most Sundays than it is for me to get up. It's a lot easier for me to preach a message that everybody's going to agree with and everybody's going to like and everybody's going to go home and say that was nice and pat me on the back about it than it is to really challenge because when you challenge people start swinging. So there's lots of Sundays where I'm right here on the mat and it's easier for me to stay there than it is for me to get up. And I wonder how many of us are there. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. Bad things have happened to you. And I'm not minimizing any of those things. Please don't hear that. In a room this large, terrible things have happened to people. that are beyond anything we could ever imagine or hope for. And those things are not the way it should be. That's not the way God intended the world to be. That's because sin has broken everything. That's why Jesus doesn't just say, stand up. He starts with our sins. He starts with our brokenness. He starts with our healing. And then he calls us to walk. And so today, I don't know where you find yourself. You might be the crowd who's just annoyed with everybody and just like, I just, I just want to be here on Sundays for an hour. I'm good with that. I just want to clock in and clock out. And I wonder if Jesus is saying, what if you became more like the friends? Maybe you're the friends and you're doing all the work and you're fighting and you're battling. Keep doing it. We need you. Or maybe you're on the mat right now and it's hard to get up and you don't know what faith looks like and I think Jesus is saying to you get up get up it's okay if you go slow it's okay if you work it out with other people but my child get up your friends may have brought you here but it's your choice whether you decide to get up your parents may have brought you here but it's your choice whether you decide to get up your spouse may have drugged you here but it's your choice on whether you decide to get up. Listen to this verse. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately, he rose up before them and he picked up what he'd been lying on and he went home doing what? Glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Your healing becomes your testimony. Your healing becomes the story that everybody else needs to receive their healing. And there's so many times when we're just laying on the mat, even when we've already been healed, and Jesus is saying, I need you to tell your story so that others can be healed. I need you to walk in healing so that others can be healed. I need you to stand up and walk out of this room, which I don't even know how he did it because the crowd was obviously big, right? I need you to talk to the guy whose roof you just destroyed and apologize, and I need you to make your way out. Our healing becomes the testimony, and this is us, guys. This is the reality of us. Every single one of us, we are laying on the mat, completely helpless to save ourselves. No matter how many good deeds we do, no matter how many right things we do, we cannot be saved without Jesus. And Jesus is walking in, in the middle of it, and he says to each of us, get up. Get up. This is the invitation. I want to be a part of a church that wrecks the roof. I want to be a part of a church that are the friends that tear up the roof, that are the people at the end of the finish line of the Iron Man who are saying, you are an Iron Man or an Iron Woman, (laughs) and I'm cheering for you, and I'm thrilled and I'm excited for the progress that you're getting. I want to be a part of a community that doesn't stand here and fill a room. I don't care if this room is filled, guys. I really don't. When I was 20 and 30 and I was a pastor, all I wanted was full rooms. I wanted the biggest crowd we could possibly imagine and get in front of them. I don't care what we do in here. I care what we do out there. I care what happens outside of this place. And I want us to gather in this place and I want us to rally and I want us to get excited and I want our faith to grow a little bit and I want to be in kingdom communities where we're talking about discipleship and life and real life things and we're stretching and we're praying for each other. But Sunday should be the pregame, not the game. Sunday should be the gathering before the game. The game is what happens all week. This is just tailgating, right? And so I don't know today where you find yourself, but I I would ask you to just find yourself in this story. The band's going to come up, and and as they do, we're going to open up communion stations. And as you're going to the communion stations, I just want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, where am I in this story? Am I the crowd right now? Am I on the mat? Am I, I don't know, who am I in this story right now? And who do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? Is there a mat that I'm laying on that you're inviting me to stand up from? Uh, And so let's take a time, let's just pray, let's take just a couple minutes. The the prayer team is gonna come up front and if you wanna pray about anything, uh, they would love to pray with you and talk with you about getting up off the mat. If you believe that there's healing that you need in your life and you've just been kind of sitting around waiting for it rather than positioning yourself for it, maybe the first step today is to go pray and to say, I'm gonna position myself for it, I'm gonna be with you. So let me pray for us and then we'll enter into a time of just response and and ministry time. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. I pray that you would teach us to wreck the roof for you. I pray that you would call us off the mat. And I pray that you would bring healing. Jesus, I pray that every single person within the sound of my voice would be able to stand up, rise up, and walk away from the obstacles and the hurt Woundedness and the brokenness that's been around them, and that they would be able to be healed. And we want to be the people that position ourselves around you, that love your presence, that want you more than anything. And so I pray right now, Jesus, that you would use this time as we take the juice and the wine or and the crackers and remember your son and the links that he went to to bring us to salvation. I pray that we would be the type of people that would go to any lengths to love our community. Teach us to wreck the roof, Jesus.